This is Corinne. And this is Ayani. And this is Sex, Love, Literature, a pop culture podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sex, Love, Literature. This is our first episode of 2021. So happy new year again. Uh, We are super... Super excited to be continuing our little podcast into this new year. Um, yeah, Corinne, how are you feeling at the start of 2021? I'm good. I have done approximate, well, exactly zero work on my dissertation <laughs> because I had decided to take a break for the holiday and I'm glad that I did. How about you? Here, here. I've done the same. Um, I felt like these last two weeks, Christmas, New Year weeks, I was like, I think. We need to rest our brains and recharge and not be thinking about dissertations or articles or anything like that for a little bit, Mm -hmm. Um, which actually is leaving me kind of feeling good right now. I think, who would have thought that taking a break could help recharge you? (laughs) Who would have thunk it? Though admittedly, like doing stuff for the podcast these last couple of weeks has been really nice. And in that vein, if you want to continue to support our little podcast, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you just search Sex Love Lit, we'll show up in all of those places. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. We actually just got added, I saw the email a couple days ago, to the iHeartRadio app now. So Mm -hmm. there's yet another place that you can listen to Sex Love Lit. Um, So yeah, I'm really excited to be recording our first episode of this new year because we are talking about Bridgerton. (laughs) (laughs) So quick aside, I know we promised that we would talk about Schitt's Creek. (laughs) But it turns out that we are liars, including to ourselves. (laughs) So (laughs) we called called an audible uh, because we had a lot of thoughts watching Bridgerton and powered through it in like what two days three days I think it took three (laughs) so many days three three so many days three days Um, and a couple drinks oh yeah it was stressful um but we will come back to Schitt's Creek that's kind of a little surprise for you guys this month is we're actually going to do two episodes um so while this Bridgerton one has come up first you will be getting Schitt's Creek a little later in the month so rejoice 2021 brings presents for you even though it's after the holiday season but yeah so Bridgerton (laughs) okay (laughs) so to tell you a little bit about the show in case you have not been a part of the discourse there has been a lot of twitter discourse about this show but to introduce you to it if you haven't seen it Bridgerton is a Shondaland show on Netflix it's the first scripted show from her Netflix deal and it's based on the romance Bridgerton series by Julia Quinn. Mm. Uh, the, the show was created by Chris Van Dusen. We got season one made up of eight episodes, which dropped on December 25th. And I also kind of a note I think that's useful about this TV show is it's mm. rather than just being like an eight hour long movie, each episode did have the feel of an episode. Okay. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Like it had like a contained story. Like this was my, uh, I got this from Linda Holmes from NPR, uh, a pop culture critic from NPR. And she, one of her things about, I think, Bridgerton was that it's made by people who know how to make television mm, and are not mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. taking a singular story and stretching it out. But okay. 
So the promise of Bridgerton, it's set in 1813 in high society in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, basically, it's like Gossip Girl, but in the Regency <laughs> period. So this season is largely based on the first book of the series, which is called The Duke and I, and focuses on Daphne, the fourth oldest Bridgerton sibling and the oldest girl and her romance with Simon the Duke of Hastings Uh, and a big thing about Bridgerton is that there are these gossip letters or gossip a gossip column published by Lady Whistledown an anonymous author uh, where she spills the tea on everything going on in uh, in London society Uh, and although we do find out Lady Whistledown's identity in the series. We are not going to spoil that for you until later in the episode, at which point we will give you a heads up. We are going to have some spoilers about mm-hmm. plot events. Yeah. But mm-hmm. that is the one thing that we don't want to spoil for you if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah. So we'll we'll definitely give you a lot of heads up before that comes. Um, and it is on me to introduce the characters, which is a feat <laughs> because this is quite an ensemble cast that we have working with, partially because there are eight Bridgerton children, mm-hmm. eight of them. That is a lot of babies. They're not so much babies anymore, but some we of them are, are. Some of them are. Some of them are still very, very young. So I'm tasked with introducing some of them to you. So our first is the Viscount Antony, uh, who's played by Jonathan Bailey, who is the eldest Bridgerton sibling. Since their father passed away before the start of this show, I'm not exactly sure what the timeline is for that. Antony is kind of stepping in as the head male of the family, Mm -hmm. so taking care of business aspects of things, the money, uh, the finances, etc. And he has the title. Yeah, and he has the title. As a note, as I'm running through all of these, it's tough to kind of remember who's who and what order they come in. But the Mama and Papa Bridgerton named everyone in alphabetical order (laughs) (laughs) from A to H, I think. Um, That's eight, right? Yeah, counting. I can do that. Um, So if you're ever confused about who falls where on the line or which Bridgerton sibling we're talking about, just keep in mind, A is the first one, and so on, down the line. Our next is Benedict Bridgerton. I like a good alliterative name. Played by Luke Thompson, who is our second son. That means he gets a little extra freedom, which we'll talk mm-hmm. about a little bit. Uh, third is the sweet baby Colin, played by Luke Newton. Fourth, of course, is Daphne, played by Phoebe Drivner. I hope I'm saying that right. Denever. Denever. That was very wrong. I was wrong. Phoebe Denever. <laughs> The fifth child is Eloise, played by Claudia Jesse. Uh, Eloise is our I don't want to get married, I want to be a woman of letters mm-hmm. and go to school character, um, who, based on conversations with some of my friends, people find a little bit annoying. Mm-hmm. But we can talk a little bit about her, too. And then there are three more Bridgerton children, which we will not really be talking about in this podcast. Their mother is Lady Bridgerton, uh, who's played by Ruth Gamel. Uh, she's widowed, as I said. Um, and a lot of her story is kind of about how one is kind of her power struggle with Anthony or Anthony in running the household, but also mm-hmm. trying to help Daphne uh, be prepared for high society, finding a good match and all that. Um <laughs> So that's the Bridgerton brood. We also have Simon, the Duke of Hastings, played by Regay Jean Page, um, who is a looker, to say the least. <laughs> to uh, quote Andrew Ayani's husband, yeah. Uh, so he, Andrew, who had not been watching the show with us, was there when we started, I think, episode three, and yeah. saw Simon and was like, hmm, 
<laughs> that motherfucker is unreasonably attractive. <laughs> and and in talking with some of my other friends, we've been trying to pinpoint exactly what makes him attractive, and we've decided it's just the whole package, mm-hmm. everything. He's just wonderful. Uh, we also have the Featheringtons, who are another big family that we follow. They have three daughters who come out in society. Uh, we're only really going to talk about one of them, and also the show really only cares about one of them, and that is Penelope. Mm. Uh, she's played by Nicola Coughlin and of Dairy Girls fame. She is delightful. Oh, yeah. She's great. Uh, they also have sort of a ward, a neighbor for reasons. They're also... Uh, sponsoring marina thompson who is played by ruby barker uh we also were although we're not going to talk about her that much we're also extremely fond of lady danbury mm-hmm. played mm-hmm. by joa ando uh i want to be lady lambury when i grow up lady danbury, <laughs> lady danbury. larry danbury <laughs> i can't talk today apparently <laughs> it's fine i'm just recording a podcast but can't use my mouth it's fine it's fine but she's sort of the- She's a mother figure for Simon, whose parents have died, and she's all she's just all around delightful. We and then uh, would you like to do your shout out, Ayani? Yes, I do want to do a quick shout out to Martin Zinhangbe, who plays Simon's friend Will, because he is fantastic, and I really enjoyed watching him in this show. And I know a lot of people have really kind of been thirsty for Simon over the course of, I guess, my reading of the Bridgerton discourse, but Will thumbs up that's yeah <laughs> top tier top tier boxing gentlemen i'm here for it and yeah we'll leave it at that and then last but not least we have the inimitable julie andrews as the voice of lady whistledown the author of the scandalous society newsletter mm-hmm. and she's delightful she's having a ball she sort of works as the narrator of what's going on in the show she provides a lot of like the bridges that tie different stories together and all around a delight yes agreed agreed There is a lot going on in Bridgerton, and Mm -hmm. part of the reason that we wanted to talk about this show is that it definitely, in a lot of ways, falls at the crossroads of our interests. Mm -hmm. Um, Me doing a lot of study of how sex is depicted, um, more specifically in comics and animation, but how sex is depicted, how we're looking at it, how we're viewing it, and of course, Corinne's conversations about how young people are introduced to sex, mm-hmm. thinking about consent, thinking about how stories are used to introduce mm-hmm. conversations of sex. Uh, this was just kind of a, a an amalgam of a lot of things that we're interested in. No monsters, but like, you know, that's okay. <laughs> monsters don't have to be in everything. So we were definitely drawn to Bridgerton. Even before we watched it, just watching the trailers, we were like, mm-hmm. oh. Also, then, like, I've always loved a good Shondaland show. Very fair. Very fair. You know, honestly, this is my first Shondaland show that I've watched from beginning to end. Well, it's not over yet. <laughs> oh, very true. Very true. Very true. Well, I I jumped on the train at the beginning, let's say, because I watched a handful of Grey's Anatomy. There was like a year that I was really into it and was watching mm-hmm. it live. And then my dad actually got really into – um. The one with Olivia Pope with the name Scandal. of Scandal. Thank you, Scandal. I watched I- so much Scandal. I think I gave up for the very last season, but they like jumped the shark long before that. But like I held <laughs> on. And then I saw how it ended and was like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, I've only watched like a season and a half of Scandal. So I fell off long before the shark was jumped. But 
I have that kind of frame of reference. And then I never watched How to Get Away with Murder, I think but I, I love watched, Viola Davis. I watched like the first two seasons and maybe a little mm-hmm. bit of the third, but they kept murdering people. Well, yes. It's yeah, in but the like, title. Like, they get away with murder in the first episode and then they're like, I guess we should do it again. And I mean, why? <laughs> because you got away with it. Now you just got to keep murdering, gotta, right? Got to keep – well, there is – there's no murder. No, there is murder here. There is murder in this show in Bridgerton. There's less murder here. Oh, yes. Yeah, significantly less murder. So kind of looking at the Shondaland filmography, we're getting something a little bit different with mm-hmm. Bridgerton and that it is one, not a contemporary story, right? Although I think still star-crossed might have been a Shondaland show. Uh, It wasn't nearly as famous as the other ones, but it was like a summer show on ABC and it was set Ah. in like Shakespearean. It was like, it was like after Romeo and Juliet had happened, like after they did with some other people. (laughs) But one of the things I, I really liked it, it got canceled after one season. Not very many people really liked it. But one thing that was interesting about that show is that the main character was a dark skinned, black woman which and like one of the criticisms of Bridgerton is that although there are a lot of black people a lot more than in most Regency shows uh none of them are particularly dark-skinned except for Will well Lady Danbury too but they're still lighter skinned yeah that's fair I guess compared to like Simon and um Alice Mm -hmm. but okay yeah I see what you're saying that's interesting. I haven't seen any of that critique, but I believe you. I've seen some of it, I think, particularly from Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, who is a famous children's literature scholar. Ah, okay. Interesting. Yeah, this show has definitely been very talked about, mm-hmm. let's say, in a, in a lot of different ways. So what are your expectations for a Regency romance, Ayani? Because I think part of why this show got so much discourse is because mm-hmm. it subverted a lot of people's more traditional expectations yeah so i honestly do not have a lot of experience with regency romance stories Mm -hmm. um i think the one that i have maybe a little bit of experience with is like a downton abbey kind Mm -hmm. of you know jane austen you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i don't know uh big poofy dresses people being witty but not exactly saying what they mean kind of lack of conversation around sex maybe like dancing around conversations of Mm -hmm. sex but not actually being direct about them i clearly don't have a lot of experience with regency romance stories what what do you expect though because i know you're somebody that has a lot more Mm -hmm. experience for lack of a better word with these kinds of narratives before i became a person who exclusively watches korean dramas i used to watch a lot of british television so like i've seen like most of the jane austen adaptations i've seen like like the pride and prejudice minis i've seen like all the versions Mm -hmm. of pride and prejudice Mm -hmm. all the versions of sense and sensibility i've also seen some of the more obscure bbc ones like wives and daughters and and as well as like downton abbey and right north and south and I've seen mo- I've seen a lot of them and I think one of the reasons Bridgerton got so much attention is because it is well two reasons a it's a lot spicier I think I think mm. it is in some ways 
more similar to Downton Abbey in the way that Downton Abbey, I think, had a little bit more with sex, especially with Mary in the first season. But mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, Bridgerton mm-hmm. then kicks it up a notch even more. But another right. reason that it got a lot of attention and from some naysayers, maybe some more negative attention, is that it does specifically have people who aren't white in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, there are a lot of people of color in this cast. Mainly, I mean, I'm not to make a little bit of assumption but a lot of black people in the mm-hmm. story you know um from the count or the the duke to lady danbury there there're just a lot of black faces mm-hmm. in it um honestly which is one of the reasons that i was more interested in watching mm-hmm. bridgerton you know because normally in these kind of stories you don't see people that look like me mm-hmm. you know especially not as royals or oh that and that's right the queen is also yeah. a black woman you know so not as royals not as people in positions of power in this mm-hmm. kind of time period so i know that that was something that really drew my attention um when we watched the trailer the first time mm-hmm. well and another thing that i really like about it and that i think bears i don't know pointing out maybe or emphasizing mm-hmm. is that like even in and maybe especially in all of like the jane austen adaptations and that whole world the version of Regency England that we see is already a fantasy. Right. It is mm-hmm. not ever strictly historically accurate. And right. I think Bridgerton sort of leans into uh, leans into the reality that our version of this is imagined. And yeah, it is meant yeah, yeah, for yeah. people here in 2021 and not actually for people in 1813. Right. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. Like, I, I think the fantasy aspect of Bridgerton is something definitely worth highlighting and kind of focusing on mm-hmm. um, that even, I mean, this might sound a little silly, but even in the choice of colors, how things are portrayed. It's, so, it's such a beautiful show. Like the costumes yeah. are so delightful. Oh, they're, they're gorgeous. They're stunning. But even there's a sequence that I'm recalling when they go back to Hastings, the Duke of Hastings Manor, mm-hmm. um, and there's a shot of them on this gorgeous, beautiful lawn, and everything is so very green and mm-hmm. so very blue. It feels like the kind of thing that would be plucked out of a fantasy retelling. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So even in how they shoot Bridgerton, it feels like they're shooting kind of a a fantasy narrative. Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah, I, I think calling it a historical fantasy if we're going to kind of think about conglomerate mm-hmm. genres. I know sometimes we run through the different genres that something can fit into, but I definitely think thinking about what historical fantasy means and how it can apply here um, is really, I don't know, a smart thing to think about, mm-hmm. you know? Well, and building on that a little bit and the reason Bridgerton is specifically interesting to us in the mm-hmm. context of this podcast is there is so very much sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh my gosh, so much. <laughs> I, like, we'll come back to this, but I was literally yelling at the TV because of how much sex there was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Um, so there was actually an article just kind of to to lead into this that you sent to me from the LA, was it the LA Times? Yeah, I think, I think? it was the LA Times. Uh, that was asking how, how true to history is Bridgerton? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, a quote from that article, and I think they were quoting a, a scholar here of the time period. Um, but we know that the Regency society was a very body society generally. Uh, extramarital, eh, extramarital sex is no longer illegal. Most adult conceptual sense is within the law. There's a very open culture of prostitution in London, and we get celebrity courtesans and mistresses. So mm-hmm. it's, it's 
it feels like in a way it's kind of building on some of the actual historical knowledge that we mm-hmm. have about the Regency, but then putting it, as you were saying, in a very 21st century sensibility, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, for 21st century audiences. So yeah, let's let's talk about the six, Korean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess we'll start here because it's kind of at the top of our list. But one of the things that really stood out to me were some of the cinematic choices mm-hmm. in terms of how sex was shot and how we were shown these sequences. So this is, to say the least, this is where the spoilers start happening, right? Because we're talking about who's sleeping with who and, (laughs) you know, how that, you can't talk about sex and abstraction, I think, in in terms of this show. Uh, But when Daphne and the Duke start sleeping together after After they're they're married, married, (laughs) after they're married, right? uh, We have so many sequences of them having sex in different places at different times of day, spurred on by different things that turn them on right there's so there's so much of it there's so much there's so much (laughs) at one point i literally yelled (laughs) what was was i just saying if they just stopped fucking so much and had a conversation yeah (laughs) like we would have so many less problems but thinking about the first time that they have sex. So uh, to, for a little bit of context. Oh, uh, of course. <laughs> so this Bridgerton focuses largely on Daphne and Daphne coming out. And by coming out, I don't mean coming out as gay. I mean coming out right. in society. <laughs> uh, and uh, she has a ruse with the Duke where she, for Lady Whistledown reasons, isn't getting the attention that she wants and needs mm-hmm. in order to secure a good match. He's getting too much attention because he is a duke. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and single. He's a single duke, and he's determined not to marry. But then they end up... So they pretend that they're courting and both get a lot of attention. Or he succeeds in not getting attention. She gets a mm-hmm. lot of attention. They fall in love. They for, yeah. for reasons, they have to get married. Both of them think the other one doesn't actually want to get married, but then mm-hmm. they what realize they, they do. They realize they love each other, and it also gets complicated because the Duke doesn't want to have children, and she does, mm-hmm. and there's so it's a whole mess that we will come that. back to. But mm-hmm. on their wedding night, when they have sex for the first time, yes, now we're caught up. Um, there were definitely some interesting cinematic, I guess, mm-hmm. camera decisions um, or editing decisions in depicting that sex sequence. So I know the one that jumps out to me is there's a moment where the camera pulls back from them Mm -hmm. sleeping together and we're kind of looking at them, I I feel like over a chair almost. I remember there being a chair in that sequence, but we are kind of away from them. And then everything gets fuzzy. Mm -hmm. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Karim, but you and I both have the same kind of reaction that we thought that that meant the scene was mm-hmm. done. Well, like, it specifically reminded me, I think it was, like, maybe through a screen or something yeah. that was separating us That's from them. That's what it was, And yeah. it reminded me of, actually, it reminded me of a little bit of an older movie called Stardust, where mm-hmm. in that movie, mm-hmm. When Tristan and Any Vane, it's just a PG-13 movie, so it's not nearly as explicit as Bridgerton, but When Tristan and Vane start to, like, you know, go at it for the first time. We like zoom out and then go like through the screen. So like instead of like looking through it and then like yeah, and then it like uh, I guess goes out of focus and then we pan down to another location so that we're, right that's how we know that they're carrying on but we are not watching. But instead mm-hmm. of us leaving, instead 
goes back to them having sex yeah and then we're closer too so we go from this moment of being kind of away from them separate from them behind the screen to being like right in their faces if i remember or correctly. their butts or their butt it was either their faces or their butts but somewhere <laughs> we are suddenly very close to them there are a lot of butts in this show by the mm-hmm. way so many butts but we're suddenly very close to them. And it made me, I don't want to say it pulled me out, but it made me really think of the cinematic language of sex, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. How both you and I expected the sequence to be done after we had this fuzzy fade, but then we weren't done and we were like mm-hmm. really, really in it. So, And it's not like we hadn't seen that much up to that point. Like right. we've seen like both of them get like all the way naked. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There, there was a clear, you know, we knew sex was happening. So throwing this question at you, like, did you find it jarring? What do you think they might have been trying to do there with moving from this kind of fuzziness to being like in your face about it? I don't know. That's a good question. Well, like I'm thinking about a who you are watching this show with because I know like we were Mm -hmm. watching it together and that was fine but like one of my friends was watching with her parents and that was way too much for them (laughs) Uh, so I know that I do not recommend watching the show with your parents don't do it or your children or your children (laughs) unless I don't know you know what let me not pass judgment you're absolutely right but like I don't, so like also when we were watching the sex scenes in this show, the two other shows that made me think about, uh, one is so, so, sort of thinking about these period pieces that have right. more mm-hmm. explicit sex in them. Because in so right. much of it, like like peak romance in Pride and Prejudice, the 2005 Pride and Prejudice is like Mr. Darcy holding Elizabeth's hand when he helps her into the carriage. like mm-hmm. And that's like mm-hmm. as spicy mm-hmm. as it gets. So like yeah. shows that get a little spicier um, that I was thinking about are Outlander. And okay. The Great, which we've talked about on this show. Ah, yes. Good old The Great. Mm-hmm. In which, like, the sex is a lot more explicit. And it almost – so I think – so the I haven't seen all of Outlander. I've only seen, I think, the first season and a couple episodes of the second. But the Wedding Night episode of Outlander is one of my favorite episodes of television because it is so, I think, careful in how it presents mm. sex. And it does present sex explicitly. But it's almost more – careful about how it does it Mm. and in that show claire is uh she's been gone back in time anyway the plot's not important but she's (laughs) she's not a virgin but jamie her new husband is and in this show daphne is a virgin and the duke isn't and has a bit of a reputation Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for uh sowing his wild oats although he doesn't want children (laughs) i guess he is not Dak, yeah. he's, he's almost sowing his wild notes wild oats i can't talk it's okay neither of us are very good at talking today apparently uh yeah so i guess technically not sowing his wild oats as it were and i kind of want to throw a little bit of context i know we were we're talking about kind of the cinematic choices but something mm-hmm. i think that's worth noting is that he and Daphne have a conversation about sex while they're still kind of in their ruse phase of things mm-hmm. and um, it's also to make it like Daphne Daphne doesn't know what sex is right yeah and we're of course we're going to come back to this a little bit later um because I think both you and I had some thoughts about how sexual education or the lack thereof is kind of played around Mm -hmm. with in the show um but Simon and Daphne have a little bit of conversation about masturbation well and it's oh yeah specifically in the context of like what is marriage 
for and Daphne mm. is asking Simon this and at this yeah. point they're friends sort of yeah friends and it's clear that she's sort of getting the as audience members it's clear she doesn't know what sex is the right. answer to her question is sex Simon knows the answer is sex but he can't tell her that right so he ends up telling her about masturbation instead ah! <laughs> sorry I'm more laughing at your reaction that was great um yeah actually so in 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 thinking about that sequence and how they're talking to one another and again showing his level of understanding and level of expertise as opposed to her mm-hmm. naivete and, I think- and I, that also I think demonstrates his then understanding of what she does not know right right yeah that makes a lot of sense kind of cueing him into how clueless she is about this mm-hmm. it kind of makes their wedding night sequence all the more interesting because we know how inexperienced she is we know that he knows how inexperienced she is but it still kind of ends up being a positive experience for the both of them Mm -hmm. and i think the camera work and how it's shot and how it's filmed how it's lit even Mm -hmm. um does a lot of work to kind of show how it is a positive experience though again talking to a friend of mine we were laughing and we're like ah Media has a tendency of making everyone's first time seem so wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I think one of the reasons it does sort of zoom back in after we thought it was done and it wasn't is, I mean, to put it explicitly, like Daphne has an orgasm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her and first time. I, yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. you saying like when that happens, like, oh, now she's going to think it's that great every time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, my old lady cattiness is coming out. <laughs> But I think that's interesting to think about in what this show is. It's also presenting, I think, a fantasy of what sex is like. Right. Well oh, absolutely. A fantasy of what the Regency period is like. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to put it, kind of a fantasy of what sex is, what it's like, and what it can be. I hadn't thought about it that way. I think that's really, that's really bright. Uh, <laughs> but thinking about kind of the fantasy of sex, one of the things that we picked up on was kind of the voyeuristic nature of Mm -hmm. these sex scenes, how in order for them to be a fantasy, they have to be a fantasy for somebody, Mm -hmm. right? And that's for the viewer. It's for the people that are watching. And something that we thought was interesting that we wanted to think on a little bit is how there are actually a variety of different kinds of sex scenes Mm -hmm. in Bridgerton. Of course, we have kind of Daphne and Simon going at it constantly mm-hmm. constantly what was that episode everywhere like five or six <laughs> like in in the office in a field <laughs> against yes. a tree i don't know like only occasionally in a bedroom like right. we, i don't we know saw Simon's butt so many times so many times and this is the second time we talk about man butts on our podcast <laughs> after lucifer it's actually as a really quick aside it's interesting how many connection points to other series that we've talked about mm-hmm. um, are here. Cause there's that kind of connection to Lucifer with how we view the man's body mm-hmm. in Bridgerton. There's kind of the Regency sex connection with the great. Mm-hmm. Cause there was a sequence when um, they, <laughs> they went at it on his desk in the office that for my brain went right to the great when I was watching that. Mm-hmm. Um, when the, when they're, 
um, when the the workers in the house were listening to them from behind the doors, <laughs> they were so just they were so inconsiderate of their servants in this show. <laughs> very, and like very after, so. after Downton Abbey, where the servants are like equally developed characters, and in mm-hmm. here they're just like they're not a hundred percent props, but they're just enough not props for me to be so uncomfortable for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and they were like that in the great too. The poor like people that work mm-hmm. for them were constantly just like, oh, we're just gonna well, be like, here. In the great Peter is supposed to be like kind of a dick, and yeah, Simon and Daph- definitely a also <laughs> a dictator. A lot of pro- a lot of problems with Peter, but like in the show, <laughs> we are supposed to like Simon and Daphne. Mm, so when mm-hmm, they aren't mm-hmm. full to their servants, it made me more uncomfortable. Because like, of course, yeah. Peter is an asshole to his servants. Peter is a mess. But like, yeah, Simon and Daphne aren't supposed to be. Mm, yep. But then they start going at it when people are they right are. there. But so rude. <laughs> Beyond Simon and Daphne and their constant fucking all over the place, <laughs> all over all of the furniture. I'm surprised they didn't do it in the kitchen, by the way, or in the dining room or wherever the fuck else. But there are also sequences of masturbation. And there's an orgy sequence in which second son Benedict has a wild time <laughs> at an art. It's like an artist party, but an artist party. Class. But but yeah. it also it has a mix, a mix of people from the upper class and people from not necessarily like the lower lower class, but like the modiste, the dressmaker is there, and right. like people and like performers, like actresses, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that level of society is also there. So it's it's for largely but not exclusively men of the upper class not and perhaps a handful of married women who have more freedom but not unmarried upper class women right right exactly and kind of comparing these sequences of self-love couple love (laughs) and everybody love it, it was very interesting that the masturbation sequence in particular made me a little like oh okay because of so on it made both of us uncomfortable is that when we needed a drink no i think i needed a drink when she and simon started like going at it before they were (laughs) married in the dark garden and i was like you know you i had to stop it and walk away because i was like i can't i can't we ended up drinking sparkling cider so it wasn't quite a drink drink i had to drive later we're very responsible (laughs) um but the masturbation sequence because of, I think, how voyeuristic it was, made me the most unsettled, but not mm-hmm. in a way that I'm like, oh, that means it shouldn't be there. Like, I'm not of so that un- mindset. Unsettled, not scandalized. Right, right. Um, and it was important for Daphne's, like, character maturation and all of that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. It, it was the, the scene had a reason for being there. I'm not saying, like, oh, masturbation, right, whatever. But I think because... One, it was about her first exploration of her own body mm-hmm. coming from a place of no knowledge to a place of some knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on top of that, she was fantasizing about Simon while well, touching herself. I think it's interesting as well that they were using these like shot, like brief shots of like her yeah. time with Simon, like when they almost held hands. I don't even mm-hmm. remember. But like up to that point, their interactions had been really. I I want to say innocent. I don't know that that's exactly more what, friendly, very, more very, friendly, and also very chaperoned, very in yeah. public. So like the things that she was using to fantasize about that it was flashing back to for us were interesting. I think. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I think they were very interesting. It was just kind of this 
deep dive both into a private moment in which she had locked the door and tried to keep everyone else out, but we Mm -hmm. were watching. But then also peering into her private thoughts Mm -hmm. made it kind of unsettling for me, which oddly enough was the complete opposite reaction I had to the orgy sequence Mm -hmm. in which everybody was just having sex on the stairs. I think because it was not shot as intimately, Mm -hmm. we always maintained a sense of difference from all of the different people that were having sex. And Mm -hmm. even when Benedict was with, I guess, the modiste and someone else's wife, I'm forgetting the artist's name, but a married woman of the Tom, we never got too close to them. Mm-hmm. I don't, there was never like the extreme close ups, like with Daphne and Simon. I think, if anything, the closest we got was from like a chest up, if I'm remembering correctly. I wonder if there's also, maybe, for, maybe not for you, but for me, something about it as well is that like everyone at the sex party knew what they were doing, mm-hmm. was there. Mm-hmm with fully informed consent yeah and also knew that whatever they were doing they were also doing very publicly yeah Um, i think public isn't actually an interesting choice of words there because Mm -hmm. it wasn't it was still a private space but it was a private space to be viewed by others if that makes sense Mm -hmm. it's not like this was in the street they were still behind closed doors from the rest of quote-unquote polite society but, but they were still in crowded rooms. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I, th- I think you're absolutely right that there was already that expert expectation, <laughs> expectation of viewership in that space. Mm-hmm. So I was just one of many sets of eyes rather than mm-hmm. in Daphne's masturbation sequence when there were supposed to be no other eyes that are there. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was just something well, that I, I found really interesting. Go ahead. And then maybe maybe building on that a little bit, we also then so we have the scenes with Daphne and Simon together, which like mm-hmm. I think was a little bit voyeuristic, particularly on their wedding night, but like as they started mm. having sex everywhere and everywhere. Every way, that felt that felt less and less intrusive as time went on because it was like you mm. were they were essentially not in public in the same way, but like when they're making eyes at each other in front of the servants like they're not right. being private either no yeah yeah and also perhaps the fact that it was consistent right it wasn't mm-hmm. the in Daphne's sequence alone that was the only time we ever saw it while Simon and Daphne again I can't remember if it was episode five or six but like every two minutes we were getting them having mm-hmm. sex in another place doing something else experimenting in another way Mm-hmm. Um, there was just this constant flow of them having sex. So it's not the same kind of, not desensitization. I don't want to use that word, but like we got more used to it. Mm-hmm. There was. Well, and also like as Daphne also got more used to it. I think it's also mm-hmm. maybe worth mm-hmm. mentioning here, although they are not the focus, the main focus of this, of this season, Anthony right. and his opera singer, mistress, mistress Sienna. She, she's so gorgeous. Oh, she's. She's gorgeous, but they obviously have a very fraught relationship because Antony is the Viscount and she is an opera singer and Mm -hmm. basically she's a kept woman. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's how she makes her living. But like the when they I mean, because we see them having sex in the first episode. Right. Um, but like it That was actually Antony's introduction was seeing him having sex with Sienna. mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And but Yes. (laughs) But like Sienna, I think maybe part of why that didn't I mean, that was also part of, I think, setting viewer expectations for what yeah, this show yeah. would be like. But Absolutely. also, like, Sienna is very, like, 
she needs to be more careful with her feelings, but she knows what she's Absolutely. doing when it comes to sex. Whereas with Daphne, I think seeing people learn about it is something that I am always very, very wary of. Because coming from a place, it's like this transition that we always that we talk about a lot in children's literature and childhood studies mm. from innocence to experience. Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. there's this like particular, particularly when we're thinking about sex, there is a difference between innocence and knowledge and right knowledge and experience mm, and like absolutely. particularly with Daphne like she was going from a place of innocence to experience without knowledge in between which I think is one of the things that made me so uncomfortable so let's sit with that for a second actually and think about how sex education or the lack thereof is working in Bridgerton because th- the lack of both of knowledge that women have about sex mm-hmm. and the lack of wanting to actually provide that knowledge is something that's really hit on here in Bridgerton. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Penelope and Eloise who are shocked to find out that, well, Penelope tells Eloise that it's a maid, but Marina is pregnant outside of marriage. Mm-hmm. And like, as a reminder, Marina is their a daughter of one of their neighbors who is staying with them. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, She's a cousin. She's She's, a distant cousin. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there's some kind of family connection there. Um, Because she's she's from a farm, I think. Mm -hmm. That sounds very vague. But, like, she's not from London. She, you know, lives outside of the city. She's – there's this sense of, from my understanding, that she can take care of herself kind of ness to her, that she's worked a day in her life kind of a thing. She's not just Mm -hmm. a pampered, Mm -hmm. you know, woman about to go out for her debut sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyhow, Penelope and Eloise are scandalized that you can get pregnant outside of marriage because they have no idea what the process actually is for getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. Well, and even like when Penelope part of how Penelope develops this sort of friendship with Marina is by trying to understand how pregnancy happens. Right. Uh Uh-huh. And Uh even then Marina, who has clearly become pregnant, doesn't feel comfortable giving Penelope all the deets on how that went down. Right. And Eloise, I think, asks her mother where babies come from. In a very Eloise kind of way where she comes in and she's like, well, I guess you don't have to be married to have a baby. And everybody's like, what? But her mother won't explain it. And her brothers start to joke about it. But then her mother is like, you guys are not discussing improper topics, are you? So there's even this sense that if her brothers wanted to impart that knowledge, polite society does not deem it appropriate, even within family bounds, even though they have full knowledge and understanding of how this process works. So it it Mm kind of speaks to the embedded power imbalance in sex in these, in all of these relationships. Well, and one of the things that article that we read mentioned, the one from the LA Mm -hmm. Times, is that part of maintaining these upper class women's innocence is part of what made them a valuable commodity. Right. Not Mm -hmm. necessarily because of fetishizing virginity in the same way, but you guarantee, uh, the lineage right that you know whatever child you're having is from this woman because she's never had a child mm-hmm. before or had sex before and part and part of how they guaranteed that that was the case is that like on your wedding night sex was a surprise <laughs> surprise and one of the sequences that really stood out to us in that regard 
was when Daphne was trying to talk to her mother about what she should expect on her wedding night. This is <laughs> after she's been married before it, like she is married. It has happened. They are going to be having sex. This is on the docket. And her mom tries to tell her about it and gets too embarrassed and can't do it. And I was so mad. (laughs) Talk about it. Why were you mad, Korean? (laughs) She talks about like, oh, like it's it's natural. You'll figure it out. Like you remember those dogs we had? They figured it out. out, And then there were puppies. (laughs) What? What? How How is that enough? How is that a good sex talk? Also, dog sex and human sex is very different. <laughs> so like, that's the first time that Daphne, Daphne who is like not an idiot, no, yeah, it's like, oh, so like it has to do with having children then. And her mom's like, yeah, and that's the end. That's the end. <laughs> I wish you guys could see Corinne's face right now. <laughs> He's gonna fantastic. But yeah, so a question again, and then I'm gonna throw another question at you. Why spend this much time looking at these things and like really highlighting the lack of knowledge that Daphne and the other young women have about sex, right? Is Because on one hand, I think that might be an assumption, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but in other Regency dramas and shows Mm -hmm. that these women don't have this knowledge, right? That's kind of an assumed thing. And then like with, with, with The Great, for example... We have Catherine, who <laughs> has her whole monologue about how sex is going to be. It's going to be rainbows and butterflies. And very quickly, I think within like the second, first or second episode, we learn, she learns, I should say that that's oh, the, not the case. I think it's the first 20 minutes. It's the first 20 minutes. Yeah, it, it was, it was like that. But there's not that same kind of drawn out conversation about her lack of knowledge about sex. While sex is core and important to the narrative, it's not the same kind of like, beating over the head of these women don't know these women don't know these women don't know so So what might be happening here or why so i think there's a couple layers i think the first one is that a it is this sort of expectation we bring to regency and period Mm. series Mm -hmm. and shows that like women are kept in the dark and part of that i think comes from our i think misunderstanding of like Mm. the victorian era yeah super super prude and Mm. there's a lot of study of that and how that's like in a lot of ways a misapprehension that we have but but like that is something then that like your casual an expectation that your casual viewer will have i think there's also an element of comedy to it like we're supposed Mm. to find it funny and Mm. i don't necessarily but i guess i could see how some people might as long as the women do not end up being the butt of the joke right but then the last thing that i think it is trying to do particularly Remembering that any historical show, any historical fiction is not actually a commentary on that time, but is a commentary on the present. Yeah. I think they are trying to make a commentary on how a lack of sex education can be harmful. But I think Mm. that that commentary here ultimately lacks teeth. Yeah. It doesn't have enough bite to me. It's like, yeah, Yeah. I get it. When you don't tell someone anything, then they do something stupid. But like – it's almost like too cursory for me in this drama to actually do anything salient. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, especially since if we're thinking about this drama making a commentary on our current lived experiences, there's just so many different ways of gaining information that, I don't know, that wasn't uh, accessible to the young women in this particular mm-hmm. historical fantasy time period that 
I can see what you mean by it not having teeth or maybe being a little too far removed, perhaps, to make Mm -hmm. salient commentary. So do we want to shift our tone a little bit? We've been doing a lot of giggling, but there is something, (laughs) I think, a little serious that we need Mm -hmm. to sit with and talk about that I haven't read a lot on, but I know I have very strong feelings on Mm -hmm. is, I mean, just to be on the nose about it, is Daphne's Assault of the Duke Mm -hmm. that takes place again i'm not i'm forgetting episodes and we just watched this so i really have no excuse but i feel like it was like episode six Uh, six seems right so do you want to give them a little bit of context since that's your bag so (laughs) the context here is that when daphne marries the duke he tells her that he can't have children and she makes her peace with this or thinks she does uh, but assumes that it is because he is infertile right and that turns out not to be the case it is because of some vow he made to his abusive father that he would that the hastings line would end with him and he wouldn't have children and then as daphne and simon have been having all this sex uh daphne comes to realize that he has been pulling out and she does not because she doesn't actually know what sex is right or how it works this has not truly been explained to her she has had to learn by doing it takes her a while to put the pieces together but then once she does she uh, has sex with Simon again and bas- she gets on top and doesn't let him pull out. Right. And he is distressed by this because he did not want to have children. Right. And uh, I mean, I mean the honestly, when it comes down to it, the problem here is that that turns it into or potentially turns it into a rape scene rather than right. rather than whatever else has been going on before then. Right. So I know the issue that I was having, and I know we, we've talked a little bit about this outside of, you know, Mm-hmm. this direct podcast but as she was putting the dots together she goes to her lady's maid rose and demands that rose give her an, a complete understanding of how sex works in that moment mm-hmm. and, and also to be clear here she has like a pretty she has a good relationship with rose this is not her yes. like bullying rose into telling oh her. yeah no 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 that that part is fine Right. But also, Rose is still her lady's maid. So, like, there's still a power dynamic. (laughs) Um, But with that expressed knowledge, now having a full understanding of, you know, the semen is needed to make of a baby, (laughs) she then has sex with Simon, gets on top of him, and does not let him pull out because of what she wants. So, to me, that was an explicit kind of denial of his consent in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. And again, one of the reasons that I kept yelling that if they just stopped having sex and had conversations, <laughs> that a lot of these things would be worked out. It's just something that I think gets glossed over very, very quickly in a way, mm-hmm. in that he's upset because, you know, he doesn't want to have children and now she can potentially be pregnant, but not in the fact that she took advantage of Simon in that circumstance mm-hmm. and use the knowledge that she gained explicitly to, to take advantage of him to get something that she wants. So in a way, I don't want to say it was a fumble because I don't think that's, I think that might be too harsh, but the way that the story is told, I think it kind of overlooks the fact that she did assault him, you know, mm-hmm. again, if we're making commentary on our current era and not the era in which this happened, like she assaulted him. She denied him kind of the consent in that moment, you know. Um, well, and I think, I think one of the reasons it sits so uncomfortably for both of us is that the narrative then spends a lot of time thinking about 
how Simon betrayed Daphne by right. saying he can't have children instead of that he doesn't want to have children, which like is mm-hmm. semantics, but I think is also a fair critique, but right, does sure. not give the same weight to Daphne also taking advantage of Simon. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know one of the the things that we were saying back and forth is that when they started this relationship, perhaps in a way Simon was taking advantage of her lack of knowledge, you know, Mm -hmm. but also he then does say that he had assumed someone had explained this to her. So again, we kind of have the failing of sex education and communication in, I guess, in the time period of the narrative. So yeah, it, it, it was kind of a weird sequence in an otherwise I don't know lighter show Mm -hmm. that then was not given kind of the weight that to speak for you we felt it perhaps deserved well and also I think it's part of a larger cultural problem of only thinking about how consent matters for women and not Mm. for men and while the vast majority of the time women are more likely to be sexually assaulted than men that does not mean that men cannot be sexually assaulted right absolutely absolutely and also thinking about as you talk about all the time the complicated nature of consent Mm -hmm. and how it's not always just a simple yes or no yeah i i was having a conversation with a friend about the sequence and one of the things that she said was well he didn't explicitly say no get off me in that moment and i'm like yeah but he was also about to come so like asking him to make full complete sentences in that moment (laughs) is a big ask and he did say wait wait and there was definite hesitation there and Mm -hmm. For me, it was the fact that she was doing this on purpose. She knew what he had been doing and then took advantage of that. And I also, okay, I think I also here am willing to give, I'm not giving the writers slack because I think they should have handled this better. But Mm. within these circumstances, I think I'm more willing to give Daphne a little bit more slack than Aeoni is. Yeah. Because I think it's not just that Daphne wasn't taught about how sex works by then expecting her to just figure it out on the job. She also (laughs) like, isn't really taught about how consent works. Like her consent Mm -hmm. has never mattered. So like for her to be able to then apply it, I think is also like a big ask. Yeah. And that's where I guess the conversation about consent gets a little complicated, but I don't want to say a pushback, but something I I raised to that Mm -hmm. is she has these whole conversations about her consent to be married with her Mm -hmm. brother and him overriding what she wants and kind of her her desires and consents in that moment. So it just feels like there's an echo happening there, even if it's not an intended echo of her pushing back against what or pushing back against Antony, you know, making her marry that terrible man whose name I'm forgetting because he was terrible. And he's only in like two episodes. Yeah. Versus her then kind of overriding Simon's consent of what he wants. So there Mm -hmm. is that kind of like narrative feedback that happens in that moment. So while I, I hear totally what you're saying, it still feels like she has enough concept of like, this is what somebody wants and this is not listening or not, you know, acknowledging what that person wants in someone else's own actions so mm-hmm. so I don't know. all that to say consent is messy and i think messier than this show wants to admit that it is yeah absolutely absolutely and in a way it kind of gave me a little bit of grumbles towards the end mm-hmm. um and 
obviously spoiler, but the fact that they do end up having a kid mm-hmm. because so much of those next two episodes, because it is an eight episode series, this happens in episode six, by the end of episode eight, they have a child, is that a lot of the focus on this whole situation and them reconciling and coming back together is from Daphne's perspective. So we don't really understand how the Duke comes to terms with one, this vow that he made to never have children, mm-hmm. dealing with his reaction to how he's treated, his desire for Daphne, his want of a family perhaps, and then coming to the point where they're having a child. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of ways, that didn't quite sit as well for me. Well, they just brush it under the rug. Like there's this, Mm -hmm. I think, assumption from the show that viewers will agree that like, of course, Daphne's right that they should have children. The Duke Mm -hmm. is being absurd. and, And I don't think that that's fair to him right. and part of this i think so something that aani and i have also talked about outside of the show is that we've also been watching a show a, a korean drama called search www which is so good oh my god i loved it but like <laughs> in that show there's in the main relationship the woman who is older than the dude so then there, there's they're doing stuff with power, power dynamics there but that show takes her choice to never want to get married very very seriously very seriously and and not as like a defect whereas Mm -hmm. like i think part of the problem with bridgerton is it assumes that we will agree that simon not wanting to not wanting to get married and then not wanting to have children as a character flaw right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and something that needs to be fixed and that daphne can fix with her love (laughs) oh i hate that Actually, quick aside, something we forgot. There, love. Speaking of love. <laughs> <laughs> There's a moment, I think this was in episode five, um, and this is kind of rewinding to the idea of the fantasy of this narrative, the fact that there's a historical fantasy and the way that they're using, or the fact that there are a lot of um, Black folks in the narrative. There's a moment where Lady Danbury is talking to Simon about marriage. Oh, and I hated this about so love. much. And she makes this kind of comment that because the king has now married a black woman, it opens up all of these avenues for black people. And it is the power of love that has now allowed black people to rise in station. And I was like, oh, my God, I hate this. Uh, It was so so horrible. (laughs) I, I think in a way it kind of over or tries to brush over or overlook all of the variety of let's just say, for lack of a better term interracial marriages relationships that have existed over the course of time but have absolutely not fixed systematic racism (laughs) like i don't know and 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 also just the fact like i i really did like um the this version of the it was charlotte right queen charlotte Mm -hmm. i really liked this version of queen charlotte but there was just something about kind of making it so on the nose like look at interracial love it's fixing problems i was just like and there's there i think there's just so much historical baggage one Mm -hmm. in in the u.s in the uk as well as kind of conversations now current conversations uh about race and race relations that just made that kind of i don't know in a way that was... It was oversimplified. Oversimplified. Yeah, oversimplified. And it was also a little bit too, I think, a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mm, about mm-hmm. like, look, we're so clever. This is why we have so many black people in our drama. And I know <laughs> I, know I would have preferred, I think, to just like, instead of providing this like way oversimplified explanation to just be like, there's black people. Yeah. Deal with it. 
deal with it. <laughs> you know, like it, it's not it's not something that needs an apology for or a reason for. Yeah, it shouldn't like, have needed apology or explanation. Yeah, black folks can just exist in a historical fantasy. It it can just be. So that was another thing. I, I think we both groaned audibly when that happened. Yeah. You know, it was so horrible. And and it came out of the mouth of Lady Danbury. Yeah, <laughs> like, why did they put that in her mouth? How dare they? How dare? How dare? How dare? Ugh. <clears throat> yes. Sorry. I just I we forgot to talk about that earlier when we were talking about the fact that this was such a, a multicultural cast. But I think it also does connect, like in in this ideology of the show and. Maybe of at least an idea of romances in general. I don't think all of them are necessarily this simplistic with this idea that right. love conquers all, whether that has to do with there being black people in the aristocracy now <laughs> or whether that has to do with Daphne fixing Simon. Right, right. Ugh. And I will say I never like the idea of it being a woman's job to fix their significant other. Mm-hmm. Um, that always kind of rubs me the wrong way. And I think – in a way, they dodge that because Simon is such an affable, likable character. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like he's beating her or anything like that. And she's like, my love will fix him. But I think you're right that there is that kind of undertone of like, her love will make him want babies and thusly everything <laughs> will be great again. Which is also a bad plan, I will say. Like, mm, But that's, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. And so... That kind of leads me to something that you and another one of my friends have talked about. Is Daphne kind of as a character? Y'all didn't really find her that appealing or interesting? Yeah, she's fine. (laughs) She was so vanilla. Okay. It is now... This might not stemming from my lack of knowledge of Regency stories, but is is she vanilla in these kinds of narratives? Is it like, you know, she's witty enough and beautiful enough and talented enough and that's kind of the standard and is that the fault of the show or is that more the fault of the kind of source material that we're pulling on because I'm you know I'm half tempted to go and read this because I'm curious about how uh, the story went from being what is it the Duke and I Mm -hmm. to being kind of broken out in this eight episode visual narrative but like is it because we're tired of these kinds of heroines or is it Daphne specifically? So I think for me, part of what makes Daphne a little bit less than compelling is that we are mm. told that she is interesting and beautiful mm. and whatever and not really shown. Whereas okay. like, I've, I mean, like a Pride and Prejudice adaptation turns on Lizzie being super compelling. And right. I think they wanted an Elizabeth Darcy kind of character or Elizabeth Bennett, who becomes Elizabeth <laughs> Darcy. My bad. Uh, but, like, they wanted that kind of character and didn't – I don't know. They just, like, didn't back it up. They, we were just – like, we're, the way we're introduced to her is in, like, when they are, when the young women coming out that season are being presented to the queen. Mm-hmm. And the way – like, we're supposed to just believe that she's interesting because the queen – what does she call her? exquisite exquisite or flawless Flawless. or something like that and then we're we're just supposed to believe it and i just she was fine i wasn't i didn't dislike her at all but i I was not compelled by her either very interesting yeah i mean in a way i don't think maybe bothered is too strong a word but like i i thought maybe i thought she was fine too I, i i guess i believed it because they wanted me to and i was like okay if i don't believe this then it kind of calls 
causes the rest of the narrative to fall apart Mm -hmm. in a way, you know, because a lot of it spins around the fact that she is the diamond of the season. And if you don't believe that she's the diamond of the season, then the rest of the narrative doesn't feel like it works, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, I do do think that, it is interesting maybe to think about when do you believe something is desirable just because you are told it is Mm, particularly mm -hmm. and I think that's interesting to think about like in relation to Daphne and Simon's ruse that like uh, the other men of society believing that Daphne is desirable comes in part from them believing that Simon thinks she is desirable right right and yeah I mean so it is a question I think that the show is interested in they just I just didn't believe them (laughs) So I will say, though, that I found her relationship with Simon to be very compelling. Mm -hmm. And when they started becoming friends and playing off of each other and having their jokes, that's Mm -hmm. when I was like, okay, I see how this relationship can work more than them just being like, she's flawless. Everyone loves her, you know. Mm -hmm. So I I, I think having the two of them playing off of each other did really work for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do think they did have believable chemistry. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Do we want to – I had a feeling that this episode was going to run long <laughs> because there was just so much to cover. Um, but did we want to think about Marina and Colin or talk a little bit about Eloise or do we want to get right into thinking about Lady Whistledown as a wrap-up? I think maybe just Lady Whistledown. Okay. So, folks, this is your spoiler warning. We are getting ready to think a little bit about Lady Whistledown and – how she ends up working in the series and maybe Mm -hmm. some feelings that we have about her. So if you have not listened (laughs) or not watched Bridgerton, I should say, uh, now is the time to stop. (laughs) And and then once you know who Lady Whistledown is, you can come back. (laughs) Yes, yes. We hope you come back. Um, But okay, so Lady Whistledown. At the very, very end of episode eight, we learn that Lady Whistledown is, in fact, Penelope Featherington. Mm-hmm. which casts Penelope and all of her actions over the course of the series in a completely different light, mm-hmm. which on one hand is very, very interesting. Of course, Penelope uh, is one of the front runners for who you might think Lady Whistledown is as you're watching, I well, think. And also like as perhaps a reminder of who Penelope is, yeah. she's one of the Featherington girls, uh, all three sisters of whom came out at once. She's Eloise's best friend. She's deeply yep. in love with Colin, the third Bridgerton brother. The um, C. But she also is, I think, a less conventionally attractive woman. She doesn't have any suitors of her own over the course of the season. Or I will say they want us to believe her, the less conventionally attractive woman. That's on purpose with how they're costuming her, how her hair is supposed to be put together and all that, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But she also, I think, is a pretty delightful actress. So she was Mm -hmm. someone who I was, who I did find compelling as a character, actually, through much of the show because she is trying to figure out what the deal is with where babies come from. Right. Mm -hmm. like through the character of Marina, she's—I don't know—she's just, she's just more interesting, and I think I liked her. She has more going on. Yeah, I liked her a lot. She was one of the characters I think I enjoyed following the most as we were moving through the show. And well, and maybe part of it as well is that like what her problems were more interesting to me than too many men like me. What am I gonna do if this <laughs> prince asks me to marry him? How am I gonna say no? Also. Real quick, the prince gave Daphne this absolutely beautiful, expensive-ass necklace. She lost it. She, she left it on the fucking... The terrace. The terrace, and it disappeared. Like, that could be an heirloom. I would yeah. say that, like, 
like your mama was such hot shit a prince wanted to marry her and gave me this necklace and now i'm giving it to you baby like what but again she was already wealthy so maybe it doesn't matter to her but poor grad student me was like you need to go find that necklace girl (laughs) but like penelope's family is also dealing with i guess poverty problems because her father has gambling issues her mom is like a nightmare but like penelope then i think is a much more compelling character but i think we're also supposed to view her as pitiable yeah i don't i don't know if i necessarily pitied her though Mm -hmm. but i I know maybe not maybe pitiable is going too far but like i think we're supposed to feel bad for her Oh, well, yeah, there are moments where I definitely feel bad for her, but that's because I'm more inve- – I'm not more invested, but invested in her feelings. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much I'm like, oh, poor Penelope, but more yeah. like when things happen with Colin or when people are rude to her, I'm like, wow, that's fucked up. People are mean, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, more than just like, oh, Pen-. she's not a – I don't view her as like the wooby figure. She's not mm-hmm. like – the one not she's not the puppy dog that gets kicked and everyone's like oh puppy dog at least in my opinion that's not how i viewed her i i thought because she was someone who was kind of like on the hunt for knowledge in a way mm-hmm. um even though she had struggles and even though her family or at least her sisters were really mean to her i don't think her mother was mean to her more than any of her other sisters mm-hmm. if that makes sense i i don't know i still felt like she was on an overall positive trajectory if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. But one of the things that I guess kind of frustrated me is when we realize that she is in fact Lady Whistledown, it means that she betrayed Marina Mm -hmm. because of her feelings for for Colin. So to kind of, to provide some context are we gonna or we're gonna like do that every time we say we're providing context but to provide some context penelope has been in love with colin for god knows how long mm-hmm. um we're led to believe that it is a one-sided unrequited love kind of situation and also that colin has no idea yeah he's a sweet boy i don't think he's doing this to be cruel to her mm-hmm. but colin doesn't know how uh penelope feels about him And Marina, through her conversations with Penelope, tells her, you know, she knows that she's pregnant. Um, She knows that she has, that Marina has this man that she's in love with, this soldier named Sir George. And also that Marina, because of the circumstance that she's in, because Lady Featherington wants her to get married before she starts to show, is going to- I do think Lady Featherington is correct that the more people know that Marina is pregnant, the fewer her choices will be. Right, of course. So she's trying um, to get Marina. And I think we're supposed to dislike Lady Featherington for this, but I also think Lady Featherington is correct that the best choice for Marina is to get married real quick before – so so there is reasonable doubt about who the father of the child is. Right. And to be fair, Lady Featherington tries to set her up with some real old crusty dudes. That part's gross. I am not excusing, excusing Lady Featherington for that. So quick aside, Karim was like, I don't know. If I was in Marina's place, he looks like he's going to die soon. So maybe I'd just be a widow. Because <laughs> well, he's going to die soon. He wanted an heir. Lady Marine, or Marina will provide one. There's already one cooking. <laughs> I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> he's a crusty. Mm, no. I, mm. All that aside, Penelope is in the know about Marina's situation. So when Marina has designs for Colin, because he's a good man, because he has the potential to move very quickly and marry her before these are these concerns come to light. 
Penelope is not for it because she says Colin is a good man and he doesn't deserve this, but also because Penelope is in love with him, right? Mm -hmm. So Penelope and Marina have this moment where Marina kind of dashes Penelope's love for Colin on the rocks in a way Mm -hmm. by pretty much saying like, he views you like a sister. He doesn't view you as a woman like he views me. So you need to get over yourself. And after that happens, Penelope pretty much publishes Marina's business into the and, lady into the next lady whistle down. Right. So even though, and I will say, Penelope already told Marina that she would not tell anybody about these circumstances, that she would keep it private. She pretty much puts her love for Colin kind of above her fealty for her family and mm-hmm. her relationship to Marina and spills all of Marina's business. And I don't know. That ain't sit right with me. Like, I kind of understand why she did it to save Colin, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But in the process, she kind of ruined her entire family. That's true. Although, okay, A, that is absolutely true. I am not disagreeing with that. But I think it is also interesting to think about things that, like, Lady Whistledown wrote about the Featheringtons early on. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lady Whistledown wasn't saying nice things about them. Yeah, that's true. Like, from the beginning. So I think it is interesting maybe to think about, I mean, a, I hope that Penelope is making a pretty penny from this. Oh, but like yes. she has not done anything to make her own life or the lives of her friends easier. Like part of That's the reason true. like Daphne and Simon are having a rough time because of Lady Whistledown at the mm-hmm. beginning. So like I'm not mad at Penelope being perhaps a little bit mean, but mm. I do think it requires a rethinking of who Penelope is in order to yeah. incorporate that into how we view her as a character. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. So if you're rethinking Penelope, like, does this cast this cast her in a somewhat different light for you? I mean, honestly, for one thing, it feels like she's not as naive as she's pretending Mm -hmm. to be to everyone. I think she's a good watcher of people. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like, so Eloise, the fifth Bridgerton, Bridgerton sibling (laughs) uh, is on this quest for a lot of the show to figure out Lady Whistledown's identity and a lot of the things that Eloise considers like it has to be someone with connections it has to be someone with time to do it it has to be someone with like some sort of means like Mm -hmm. all of these things I think are true so like one of Eloise's theories early on is it has it is an older widow who like is at parties but overlooked and Mm. or like I th- and I think that is – I think it's interesting to think about that and how that idea applies to Penelope mm. and perhaps how unmarried women both are limited in some ways but also can be underestimated. Mm. I think underestimated is a good word because in a way it almost feels like the show wants us to underestimate Penelope mm-hmm. as the show goes on because of how she's viewed by her family and by society, like Penelope yeah. is not, and none of the Featherington girls really are portrayed as desirable. Right, right. Unlike Daphne, who is, you know, Hot shit. the cream of the crop. Right. Though I will say we notice, or I noticed a shift in how Penelope was portrayed towards the end when she starts like speaking up to her mother and pushing back against Marina's plan. And it's all, of course, couched within the polite society, mm-hmm. you know veneer let's say but when she calls the plan into question when she's like you know she makes a snide giggle and then is like oh i'm sorry i just blah 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 it does kind Mm -hmm. of start to turn some of those expectations on their heads um 
or like the fight she has with Eloise, it, it feels like perhaps the show wants us to consider that there might be un, unplunged depths to Penelope. Mm-hmm. Well, that- and like, I do think it's perhaps, I totally believe that it's Penelope. That is believable to me. Yeah. I didn't call it, but I also wasn't surprised. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And you know what? Thinking about The Widow, by the way, because Eloise, it was always like, had, was it going in the right direction, but then made a wrong turn, mm-hmm. you know? Because all of the things she said does add up to Penelope, as you said. But I think we were also supposed to be led by the fact that, or misled, I should say, by the fact that Julie Andrews was the voice of Lady mm-hmm. Whistledown. So we were already kind of building our own mental image of who mm-hmm. this person is supposed to be, which is not Penelope, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of takes us, it's purposeful misdirection, takes us in a different kind of way than we we're supposed to go. But I will say one of the things I'm very curious of uh, now that we know who Lady Whistledown is, and we're going to kind of incorporate that knowledge into Penelope's character, is how this works in the next season. Because mm-hmm. I'm assuming the next season will be greenlit because... Yeah, as we record this, <laughs> it has not yet been renewed, but based on the buzz, I'm pretty sure it will be. With yeah. just delays for COVID. Right, of course. How... Because uh, I don't, I forget if we said this in the beginning, but each of the novels in this kind of Bridgerton series focus on a different sibling... So I'm curious how, for example, if Eloise is the next one that I think Anthony we're is with. supposed to be next. Oh, Anthony's next. Ugh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> but how our knowledge of Penelope and the way she kind of is making commentary on high society will then come to play in the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if the since the mystery of Lady Whistledown has been removed for the viewers, how then that then changes how the narrative unfolds because Mm -hmm. we have knowledge that everyone else doesn't yeah yeah so that kind of feels like a good place to wrap up but did you have any last kind of lingering bridgerton thoughts oh so uh, i know we made some critiques of bridgerton in our discussion here and most at Things should be critiqued, but we did of definitely. I, I do want to reiterate that we did enjoy it overall, and yeah. while we have mm-hmm. some, while we have some hesitations, uh, it was a fun romp. It's very mm-hmm. bingeable. Absolutely, you should watch Absolutely. it. It's fun. Yeah, and I will say I'm looking forward to the next season. I'm curious, mm-hmm. you know, uh, how sex is going to work. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm curious what what new kind of twists and turns they're going to take, and who, what new characters will come into the fold. What old characters are we not going to be paying attention to anymore? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to look forward to. What in season two? What character are you most interested in seeing how they develop in in season two? Oh, that's a great question. Well, they did just bring back the F sibling from Bridger uh, from the Bridgerton clan, whose name I'm forgetting, but she was away for the entirety of pretty much this season Mm -hmm. and they brought her back in at the end so i'm curious who she is i really want to know how eloise and penelope's relationship is going to Mm -hmm. change and evolve especially since penelope does call or lady whistledown calls eloise kind of like her worthy opponent so to speak at the end Mm -hmm. um saying that you know there is someone who is kind of on my tail who Mm -hmm. i who not so much that she'll find her out, but who's like a worthy opponent to be sparring against, so to speak. So how their relationship is going to be depicted. I'm well, curious about that. And I think Eloise is who I'm interested in more generally, because I mm, think mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm. in in this season, Eloise was almost, and my friend Ritu made this critique, but Eloise was almost like your cookie cutter proto-feminist. Right. 
but why are the men character? <laughs> but I'm hoping as we spend more time with her that she will get to have more layers and more development and become more interesting. And I think particularly as someone who I think will be very attractive, but also does not want what society wants to give her. I think it right. watching her her season where she comes out, I think will be very interesting. And I don't know if that'll be the next season or the one after that, but I got my eyes on Eloise. Sounds good. All right. So that's what we're looking for with the next season or next seasons, plural, of Bridgerton. But what did you like about the show? What did you think was interesting? Were there things that you had hesitations about like we did? Or was it all fine and roses and <laughs> were we were we too pigs? hard on Daphne? Were we too hard on Simon? Let us know. Yeah, and of course, you can let us know on any of our social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just search Sex Love Lit and it should come up. Yeah, I think we'll probably have our Pillow Talk post up about this relatively soon. I think I still need to get the one up for Happiest Season. As a reminder, be there. <laughs> as a reminder our, pillow, our Pillow Talk posts are something we do on Instagram where we share anything that we meant to talk about but didn't, which I'm sure will somehow be the case despite the length of this episode. But yeah, come, come find us on Pillow Talk to let us know what you think think about Bridgerton. Yeah. Oh, and also something I realized. So if you didn't know, our podcast is through Anchor. There's ways to leave us voice messages if you go on oh. Anchor. Yeah, which we can like incorporate into the podcast. So if you want to send us some some love notes, if you have your own <laughs> lady whistle down style takes that you want us to include in you the podcast. You want to spill the tea. Yeah, go, go check on Anchor and leave us some voice comments. This was a thing that I didn't realize we had. But yeah, so uh, since we usurped Shit's Creek, <laughs> our next episode, we promise, or maybe not, because as Corinne said, we might, we're liars to ourselves I sometimes. I think Shit's Creek might be our white whale. <laughs> but hopefully, fingers crossed, our next episode will be Shit's Creek. But if it's not, we'll have a damn good reason. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this has been Sex Love Literature. Uh, we hope you had a great time. Because we did. We had so many feelings and emotions. I think this is our longest episode to date. But yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening and come find us next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>